This is what God has been uh, stirring up in me. Uh, something that, this challenge that God has put in front of me. And it's in the form of a question, a fairly simple question. What do you want? What do you want? And this question has, like, varied levels of meaning. Um, from superficial to, yeah, that's, right there is great, yes. And you can put yours there. <clears throat> um, thanks, guys. Um, so there's varied levels of meaning to this question, what do you want, right? If you, uh, maybe there's somebody at work, we all know, like, that annoying person at work, right? Where, like, they come in or at school, they sit down next to you for lunch, or maybe it's, maybe not our church, but other churches. Maybe it's even someone at church, and you like you see them walking towards you, and if you're nice, you just say it in your head, what do you want? What do you want? And if you're not so nice, or if it's like the third time they've come to you that day, you're like, what do you want? Um, and you just want to get rid of them. If you haven't figured out who that person is in your life, it's you. It's you. <laughs> People will say that about you. Um, but anyway, so there, that what do you want, like, just short, like, how quickly can I get out of this interaction? What do you want? What do I have to do to end this? Um, then maybe this happens a lot when uh, Lee and I go out to dinner, which doesn't happen a lot. Um, but when Lee and I go out, we'll, we're there, and we're normally it starts even before we get there, but we're there with the menus. What, what are you going to get? What do you want? That's what she'll ask me. And, and my response I don't know exactly what my response does, but I think somehow, in ways that I don't understand, it helps her to know what she wants. I think. I think is what is going on there. Um, I, yeah, I think that's what's happening. Um, then there's like the birthday, Christmas time, where you'll ask somebody, what do you want? And this is more like altruistic, right? You're just being nice. You just want to meet a need or a desire, um, make them happy. What can I do to make you happy? What do you want? And, you know, those are, like, kind of surface level, what do you want? But then, what do you want if we, like, sit under that question for four months like I have? Um, you start to see there's a deeper meaning to what do you want. And I, I thought about uh, the movie The Notebook. Have you guys seen The Notebook? Yeah. yeah it's a good movie, right? Uh, I, have, um, I have a weakness for Ryan Gosling. Um, I don't know what that says about me. Uh, maybe this is confession time or something. I don't know, but Ryan Gosling's awesome. Um, so anyway, in this movie, Ryan Gosling and uh, Rachel McAdams, I don't, know, I don't even know their characters' names in the movie, uh, Noah and Elle. All right, I'm, well, I'm going to call them Ryan and Rachel. Um, <coughs> just two names I picked out there. Um, and so there's this, this scene where, if you are unfamiliar, uh, the two of them kind of have this thing going on, uh, but Rachel McAdams is engaged to somebody else. And so this causes some tension and some stuff's going on, and uh, Rachel McAdams just spent some time with Ryan Gosling, and she's going to go back to her fiancé now, and she's going to get married soon. And as she leaves, there's this interaction between the two of them. And uh, Ryan Gosling says, um, would, you, would you stop thinking about what everyone else wants? Stop thinking about what I want, what he wants, what your family wants. What do you want? What do you want? 
And she says, it's not that simple. And he says, what do you want? Um, thank you, thank you. Um, <clears throat> uh, and so he's driving at this, this deeper question, right? And I think we feel like Rachel McAdams sometimes when people say, what do you want? with your life, you know? What do you want to do? And we start thinking about, well, this is what my parents would want me to do. This is what my spouse would want me to do. This is what my kids want me to do. This is what my pastor probably thinks I should do, what my church thinks I should do. But do I want that? Is that really what I want? And I think what we want is often wrapped up in what other people want from us or want for us. We're influenced by friends, family, church, society, culture, whatever. And, and when we're asked what do we want, our first answer probably has a lot of that influence in it. And if we stopped and we just thought, it might be a deep dive to get to what we really want, regardless of those outside influences. What is our desire? What, what does our heart long for? What is it chasing and I think what we find out, as what I've found out over these last four months, is that I'm not the best judge of what I want. That if you ask me what I want, I'll have an answer. But is that really what I want? If I tell you this is what I want in my life, and then you watch my life, are those the things I'm really going after? Uh, from the time I was a, a little boy, I don't know when it started, but my dad would ask me and my brothers a question. What's the most important thing? And I knew the answer from five, six, seven years old. It's to be a man of God. That's the most important thing. I knew the right answer. But when I look at my life, did I live like that was the right answer? Did I believe it? Is that what my heart said was the most important thing? Right? I knew the right answer. I had an answer right away. But did I live that out? And I think Jesus asks us, what do you want? And we're all good church-going people. We know the right answer, right? But is that really what you want? And so I have uh, two verses that I want to read uh, that kind of just... Bring, this, these verses are the ones that brought this question to my mind. And they, it was kind of it was weird when I read them. Uh, so we'll be in John chapter 1 and then uh, Mark chapter 10. But the verses will be up on the screen for you if you want to follow along there. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, says this. The next day, John was there again, this being John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? No, I don't know if he said it like that. What do you want? Then uh, in Mark 10, 46 to 51. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. 
Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. As I read these verses, they were kind of presented to me. Uh, I was like, I was surprised that G- at Jesus' question, what do you want? The second one with the blind guy, like it should be pretty obvious, right, what this guy wants. He's blind. And he, he hears these stories of this Jesus of Nazareth who is going around and he's giving sight to the blind. He's making the lame to walk. He's restoring broken things. And this guy, he's left to a life of begging. If he's lucky, he has somewhere to live and someone who can guide him out to the same place on the street corner where he begs every day and he can beg for food and for money and then maybe when they're done work, they come back and they, they bring him home. If he's lucky, that's what he has. So what does he want? It's pretty clear what he wants. This is a blind guy. Like, you know what you're able to do for this guy. And yet when Jesus is met with this man, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And then with the first story, we have uh, John the Baptist, who, like, his whole job was to prepare the way for Jesus. He would go out into the wilderness, and he would preach, and he, was, he did weird stuff, and people would come and see it, and he would baptize people in, in the sea, and every day, droves and droves of people would come to see this, and he would preach about this coming Messiah, this one who was coming to save us. And so he had disciples who were like, They were just waiting. Like, when is this guy going to come who you've been talking about? Like, we're excited about what you're doing, but we can't wait for this guy to come. And then one day, this guy comes. And John the Baptist is like, look, the Lamb of God. And so these guys are like, boom, done. Thanks for all you've done for us, John, but we're going with this guy now. The guy you've been telling us about is here. And if anybody like, Jesus and John were cousins, one. So, like, Jesus probably had some idea what John was doing, right? He knew that this guy was out there, that he was preparing the way for the Messiah. Jesus knew that he was the Messiah, and he knew that these disciples were waiting for the Messiah, and these guys come to Jesus, and he turns around and says, what do you guys want? What do you, what do you want? It's, it's obvious what they want, It's obvious they believe you are the Messiah. And yet Jesus asks this question, what do you want? Even when as a reader, I'm like, you're wasting words here on the page. Like, I know what they want. How do you not know what they want? But I think Jesus asked this question for at least two reasons, two reasons that really stick out to me. I think, first of all, Jesus isn't looking to give us anything we don't want. He's not going to force himself on us. Now, I think there are times where as children of God, we may be disciplined. God may be stepping into our lives to cut us off from unhealthy relationships or unhealthy habits or or whatever. But for the most part, God, and especially we see in Jesus, one who is inviting us to come, not one who is forcing us or making us to come. All throughout this sermon series that Mark has been preaching the words of Jesus uh, in the book of Luke. And we see Jesus, I'm like amazed at how many times Jesus invites people to come and then gives them an out not to show up. Like, come and follow me. But just so you know, if you like living in a house, 
you might not be able to do that if you follow me. If you like spending time with your family, you might not be able to do that if you come and follow me. If you don't like being killed by the Romans, then maybe following me isn't the best thing for you. And he's like the worst salesman ever. And yet that's what he does. He invites because he doesn't want to give us anything that we don't truly desire for ourselves. I think about um, the, the disciples that went from John to Jesus. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of misconceptions about what the Messiah was going to do for the people of Israel. And I think if Jesus turned around and said, what do you want? And they said, look, we've got this nice stash of weapons. We've got this plan. And we know you're the guy who's going to lead this revolt. And we are ready to go. Let's take down Rome. Like, that's not out of the realm of possibilities of what these guys would have wanted. And I think if that's what they said to Jesus, he would have been like, I'm not your guy. Like, that's not me. Maybe you'll find that guy. Good luck. You know, go ahead. Uh, You can go back with John, and maybe someone else will come who can help you with that. But that's not what I'm about. And with blind Bartimaeus, who knows what he wanted? Maybe, I mean, we all know what he wanted. He wanted to see. But... If he was like, hey, can, you're, you're that Jesus guy? I've heard so much about you. Can I have an autograph? Like, I think Jesus would have been like, yeah, sure, here's an autograph. And then he would have been on his way. Because he didn't want to give to these men or to us anything that we don't really want. He's not going to force that on us. But the second reason why I think Jesus asked this question, what do you want? And this is the one that I want to focus on most this morning. And I've already alluded to. We aren't always the best at knowing what we actually want. That when we come to Jesus and we say, I want to follow you, we come saying, I want to follow you, and then there's a parenthetical. If this are, these are the things that you're going to do. If you're this kind of God. And there's a lot of assumption in that. And we think we want God, but then God brings things into our lives and we're like, whoa, this is not what I signed up for. And so then Jesus asks, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want me? Do you want comfort? Because they're not always going to be the same thing. Do you want immediate gratification or do you want eternal joy? And so I think Jesus asked this question because Jesus had this awesome way of diving deep into our hearts and exposing our true desires. And that's what has struck me most about Mark's series uh, and any time I read through Jesus' words is just his interactions with people expose those people in in a good, healthy way. Not to leave them out to dry and make them feel stupid, but to show them their own hearts, to show them what they truly desire. And so Jesus asks us, what do you want? And he asks us that because we're not the best at really knowing what we want. And you might be, maybe you're not convinced that you don't know what you want. You're like, who, if I don't know what I want, who does know? Um, How can there be a more qualified person than me to decide what I want? Well, let's, uh, let's see if I can help you along with that a little bit. Uh, New Year's resolutions. Who does them? Who, who, made, who made a New Year's resolution like ever? Show of hands. Show of hands. All right. Good. Now, who broke that New Year's resolution? 
Somehow there was more hands the second time. Um, but that's what we do, right? New year, we get to start new things. We get to do the things that we really want to do, right? No, wrong. We say, you know, I'm going to get in better shape. I'm going to lose weight. And so January rolls around, and you're like, all right, I got my gym membership. You know, I, I went food shopping at Whole Foods, so, like, I spent, like, a million dollars. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back in shape. I'm going to get healthy. And then you get on that treadmill, and you're like, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I wanted at all. Like, how did I think this is what I wanted? And so that lasts for a short period of time, and then you go back to chasing the things that you really want. Maybe you want to be a more involved parent or spouse, and so you set out to do that. But then you just keep taking extra projects at work. Maybe you're glued to your phone or to the TV screen because you just need to relax after work. You snap at your kids when they want something. You go back to chasing the things that you really want. Maybe you want to be closer to God, and so you set out this schedule of your morning. I don't know how many times I've done this, where like, I'm going to wake up at this time, I'm going to read a Bible, I'm going to spend some time in prayer, and this is what I want to do. Till that alarm goes off. And then I'm going to hit snooze. And then at night, I'm like, no, I'm going to, tomorrow morning I'm going to do it. And, and then I turn on Netflix, and I'm like, I'll just watch one more episode. I'll just watch one more episode. Just one more. Just one more. And we say this is what we want, but then our lives do everything else except for go after that thing that you want. This year, I made a New Year's resolution that I was going to be on my phone less. I was going to be more responsible with the amount of time that I look at my phone. I came up with like six or seven rules that were going to be in place, and they were going to be like, this is going to guide me and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be great. I even wrote about it on the church's website. Like, I posted it up there. So you can go on our church's website and see all the things I'm not doing. <laughs> like, that's what happened. Because that's what I wanted, or that's what I thought I want. I wanted. But then my life went in a different direction. We're not the best at realizing what we want. We think we know what we want, and we express what we want, but then, you know, a month later, our life is nowhere closer and maybe even further away from the thing that we had just said we wanted. In uh, in a sermon in January, Mark uh, preached on the good fruit and the bad fruit, and he put it this way. We say we want good fruit, but we keep picking off the bad trees. And I think we eat this sour, rotten fruit, and we're like, Man, I really, I'm going to eat good fruit tomorrow. That's what I'm going to do. And then we go back to the same tree day after day, day after day. And we always say, I'm going to go to a different tree. But we don't do that. And so Jesus asks these questions to these men. And I think he asked this question to us today. What do you want? And he asked that question to drive us deeper. Because there's a disconnect between, and a disconnect that we're often unaware of, between what we think we want and the direction that our life goes. There's some incongruity between our expressed desires and then the things that we actually pursue. And why? Why does this struggle exist? I think I want this, and I'm going to make a plan to go and get this, but I don't get there. And, and really, the things I end up striving for and the things I end up getting, they never satisfy. Like, I... 
I know I want something else because I don't want these things, but I just keep getting these things, and I keep going after those things. This is true as individuals in our life, and I think this affects most of us. I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with this uh, disconnect, but I think it affects us most spiritually. Sure, we make New Year's resolutions to eat better, to, to do have better habits, but I think as we seek to follow Christ, there's this disconnect, and it affects our spiritual relationship with Jesus. We say we want to grow the kingdom of God, but we adapt the lifestyle and habits of the kingdoms of this world. As the body of Christ and as individuals, we've adapted this idea that we are what we think. I think, therefore I am, right? And so what I think matters. And if I think the right things, then I'll be the right person. That, that's kind of the mode that we fall into, whether you ever express it like that or not. I think that's the default mode of most of us. And I know I'm guilty of this. We have to, we believe that we have to have correct thought about something. We have to believe the right thing. Maybe it's politically, right? I believe the right thing. I have the right thought, and I'm guilty of this. Um, I've, I've noticed my stress levels directly correlate with the amount of political uh, information and news I take in. And, like, on Twitter, I'm like, I need to, like, I need to stop being on Twitter. I'm like, the king of retweet. Like, yep, that's the right thought. Everybody needs to see this. Boom, did my thing. Like, I believe the right thing. Maybe... In our Christian circles, we do that. I just need to believe the right thing, right? I, I believe this about salvation, about God, about predestination, about sin, about whatever. And I know I'm right. And look at those people. They don't know what's right. They call themselves Christians, but they don't even believe the same things I believe. So they can't be Christian. They can't be right. We feel like if we believe the right thing, then we'll become the right person. We believe that to enact change, we must change how we think. And, not to mention, correct other people's thinkings, right? Like, not only do we have to think right, but you have to think like me, because I think right. Um, And if we all think the same way, then we're all good. But new information, and I'm sure parents, you know this, school teachers, you know this, new information does not change behavior. You can't learn your way out of bad habits. Something deeper needs to take place. If you've ever struggled with any type of addiction, you know that new information is not what changes your behavior. We have to change what we love, not what we think. And when Jesus asks, what do you want? What he asks is, what do you love? What are the things that you love? After Jesus' resurrection, when he's with Peter... And says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I I, I love you. Then feed my sheep. What Jesus asked was, Peter, what do you want? Peter, what do you want? Peter, what do you want? And he's asking us the same thing. What do you love? Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, is a great author, Christian thinker, or was. uh, And he put it this way, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, 
that our problem is not that our desires are too strong, right? We think that our desire for this sin, for this worldly thing is so strong, and we need to have desire, we need like God to like supersede those and give us stronger desires for the things of the world. But he says our desires are not too strong, they're too weak. We are satisfied too easily. Like little children playing in the mud who are invited to a holiday at sea, we're far too happy to just stay in the mud. We're satisfied too easily. And so Jesus calls that out of us. What do you want? And he shows us how easily satisfied we are. And he calls us to love something else and to love something better. Where we would believe that the way we think or believe is of most important. Many Christian uh, leaders, many church leaders have taught and know that what a person loves will determine the course and character of life, as well as the condition of society. If you're wondering why the world is in the state that it's in, it's because we love the wrong things. It's not because we think the wrong things, although we might also do that. It's because we love the wrong things. So I think of the line in Come Thou Fount, a great hymn that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's our hearts that wander, not our brains. We can have right thought, but if our hearts are wandering, it does us no good. So I say all of this, I guess to get it out loud because it's been happening in here for four months, but also as an invitation to self-inspection. What do you want? The first answer that comes to mind probably isn't the true one. That's probably the one that your surroundings have conditioned you to believe that's what you want. But Jesus calls you to something deeper, to sit under the weight of that question. Our brains are cluttered with what we know to be right answers, but our hearts are often competing for something far less. And we love, we love things that are less important than what Jesus calls us to love. We may think and believe all the right things, but do we love the right thing? Do we love the right person? We may know what we're supposed to want, but do we love the right things? I think of the, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, uh, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants the right thing, right? He wants to inherit eternal life. Awesome, like we all do. And so Jesus has this interaction with him and, you know, well, what do you think it's, the law says? And, you know, I've obeyed all these commandments. And Jesus says, good, just one more thing that you lack. Go and sell all of your possessions. I don't think Jesus is calling all of us to go and sell all of our possessions. But what Jesus is calling out in this young man is, you don't want eternal life. You want your money. You want the security that it provides you. Maybe the status that it provides you. If you really want me, get rid of the thing that your whole life has been geared around. And then you can have me. And the man walks away sad. Because Jesus asked him, what do you really want? And for the first time, he saw his heart. And so Jesus asked you this morning, what do you 
want. And let Jesus expose your true loves this morning. Like Ryan Gosling in the notebook, I tell you to stop worrying about what other people want. Stop thinking about what your spouse wants, what your pastor wants, what the Bible wants. What do you want? And as you approach Jesus, his question is the same today as it was then. What do you want? What are the desires of your heart? In what direction is your life going? As I said before, my, my dad asked me from a young age, what's the most important thing? And, and I knew the right answer was to be a man of God. But every morning to this day, I have to wake up and I have to ask, look into my heart and ask it, what do you want? What do you think is the most important thing? Is it to be a man of God or is it to be something else? And if you look at my life, you can see times where I, my heart was like, yeah, that is the most important thing. And then you can see many more times maybe, where my heart was like, no, that, that's important, but is it the most important? Not, maybe not right now. And so we need to set up reminders because we know the right answers and we want those right answers to be what our heart desires. And so I think one way that we can get there is to set up reminders in our life that point us back to the ultimate truth that Jesus is what our hearts long for. That that's what we were created for. And so I've tried to set up those reminders in my life. I open God's word. I let it remind me of what my heart was really made for. I read authors who remind me that if nothing on this earth will satisfy, perhaps it's because I was made for something more. I sing songs. Uh, that happens less, more. I listen to songs um, that remind me of what will truly satisfy. So we're going to close with a song this morning, but I, I want to read as uh, you guys come up, I want to read one more verse. And as, as I've been wrestling with this question, I've landed on this verse as my guide. In Matthew 5, 6, uh, Jesus, these are the Beatitudes. And this Beatitude specifically has kind of helped to be my guide. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, or for they will be satisfied. Do you feel like your life fails to satisfy at times? Do you go to bed hungry for something? Are there times you want something more from your life, but you can't seem to get it? You don't even know what it is. It's because your heart has fallen in love with things that weren't ever designed to satisfy you. Prone to wander. So this morning, as we close with this song, I invite you to hand your heart to God so that he can bind your heart to him. I invite you to hunger and thirst for righteousness because then you will be filled.